Man, I'm talking to the dream team. Michael and Magic, the original dream team. You don't know anything about them. And uh, this is kind of cool. How many of you here tonight, your life has been changed by this ministry? It's incredible. I, I, I think it's incredible when you see people who come and experience Jesus, but they don't keep it, but they want to give it away. They want to share it. And I think that's the spirit of what the dream team is all about. It's seeing others fall in love with what you fell in love with. And I thank you. And I pray that tonight God gives you a good return in your investment. I pray that something encourage you tonight, something challenge you, some, something, something remind you of, of, of the motivation for why you got into this thing. And, and so that's, I didn't come from all the way from Charlotte, North Carolina, leaving my beautiful wife and four wonderful kids because I just needed something else to do. I don't, my life is full. I got Barbie dolls and my eight-year-old got her ears pierced tonight and yes, she did. And so, but the reason I came is I've heard story of Fellowship Church. They're talking about you. They're, they're, they're talking about your pastors. I've literally had three different conversations in the last six months from different people like, have you heard about what's happening in Antioch? I'm like, where is that? I mean, can anything good? But, but I needed to come close and see what's happening. I needed to experience it for myself. And I, I'm a big fan of it's investing in good soil. And, and you will have more money. You'll have more jobs. You'll have more cars. You'll have more homes. But you'll never have more time. And how you invest your time determines the impact you make. And so I've got a finite amount of time and so many nights away from my kids. And if I'm going to go somewhere, it's because I believe it's a good investment. If I'm going to invest in something, because I believe it's going to get a great return. But the other part is I'm kind of selfish. I want to get in on something where I'm going to get a return on it. I'm like, I want to get in on what's happening out here. I want to see up close all these crazy people that are growing like the kind of growth you had. You're not normal. You are not, you're not normal. This is not normal. It's not. It's, look at your neighbors here. You're not normal. Now, now look at your other neighbor, your second favorite person, and tell them you're not normal. You're really not. But when you live in your skin, you fail to see your uniqueness. When you live and you look at that person in the mirror, you start to become so familiar with it, you start to see the uniqueness of it. And my fear is some of you have lost the ability to see how unique God has created you. And what you see is, is ordinary, God created is extraordinary. It's like my 11-year-old son, his name is Corbin. And he, he's, I don't know, he's like this tall. I'm, I'm pretty short if you can't tell. And so, <laughs> vertically challenged. And, and so my 11-year-old, every time somebody seems like, you're getting so tall. And his answer is, I'm not any taller than I was yesterday. Because he lives in it every day. And he doesn't see the growth because it's happening so incremental. It doesn't happen in his eyes. But when others look at him, they're like, man, you've gotten so big. Because sometimes you need somebody to remind you how far you've come. Some of you need somebody to look at you and say, look how far you've come. Look what God has done in your life. Look who you used to be. Look. 
And so can you remember where life used to be and what you used to do? Look at where God has brought you. How many of you have been a part of this ministry for 10 years or more? You remember back to what it looked like? Oh, yeah. It's like you look back and you're like, I wore that 10 years ago. Like, I, yeah, I styled my hair like that 10 years ago. Look how far you've come. And I just want to be a voice from the outside to come in and say, you're not normal, you're unique, and God created you to be set apart for something great. Amen. And this, this is, you haven't even got out of the starting blocks. Fellowship Church, you, you, this isn't even the foundation for what God is going to build. This is scaffolding that's getting put in place, that's getting ready to build the foundation. That's, that's what's happening here. You, you, you haven't arrived, and what I want to do is unpack a couple scriptures tonight that might encourage you and might challenge you a little bit, because anything worth having is worth fighting for. And, 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 and some of you know what it's like to be in a fight. You're a fighter. You used to get in fights with everybody. But when you came to the Lord, you're like, oh, it's supposed to be all nice for Jesus. Well, no. It's just fight the right things and have the right fights. And that's good. I'm a little bit more of a mafia kind of pastor. I'm a little, a little more along that line. So I'm going to be in John chapter 2. If you brought your Bible, we'll have it also have it on the screen for you. And I want to look at a couple, couple verses of Scripture because I think I have a specific assignment tonight to deposit something in you and to talk to you about miracles. I want to talk about messy miracles. Messy miracles. And, and, and some of you are standing in the midst of a miracle, but you see it as ordinary. But God gave you front row access to a move of God. It's, it's kind of like, do they have Krispy Kreme donut here? I grew up in Minnesota, and we didn't have Krispy Kreme donuts. And the first time I moved to North Carolina, a buddy of mine, his name was Walt. Walt said, let's go get a donut, but it's like a mid It's midnight. And I'm like, I have no point of reference. I'm like, why would we go to a grocery store and buy these things in styrofoam containers and eat them? And he said, you've never been to Krispy Kreme, have you? I'm like, well, no. What is this you speak of? <laughs> speak to me. Tell me these truths you have. And so you drive up and you see the hot sign at the distance. It's this, like, like, like lighthouse that's calling you into its harbors of safety and joy. And, and you're, you're just... And, and you see all the cars and the buzz, and then you open the door, and you smell this whole thing, and you're like, what have I been missing out on? This is amazing. And then you see the conveyor belt of love that's just oozing goodness. And, and you gain seven pounds by the time you've taken your first bite. And, and then a dozen later, you fall into a carbohydrate coma, and it's, and you're just waking up the next day, and... Wiping off frosting off your face because it's looked like a four-year-old with a birthday cake. And, and it was awesome. Incredible. I was like, wow. And I look at the lady behind the counter. And I was like, you must love it when the hot sign's on. She goes, I hate it. I said, oh, you're not the owner. You're an employee. Ah, so are you an owner or an employee? Because the dream team is about ownership. God created you to be owners. And, but sometimes we can be inconvenienced because somebody sat in our seat or somebody had our parking spot and turned the hot sign off. There's too many people. And 
And uh, everybody wants to grow until we have to change. And it's, it's easy to be committed to an idea, but it's really hard to execute a plan. I'm, I'm going to, I got this awesome plan to get chiseled and lose all this weight, but then I got to wake up and go to the gym. I got to give up the Krispy Kreme and pick up the broccoli. Uh, and so you got on this, this thing called fellowship. I pray that you marry this thing. In, in the famous words of the theologian, if you love it, put a ring on it. And some of you are so invested. Some of you, you're, 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 you're dating it. And tonight will be a night of commitment. And you know if I'm talking to you because you're not tithing. You're participating verbally, but you're not participating financially in this ministry. And you're robbing your family of a blessing because you're not prioritizing your finances under the authority of God's house. And, and you know you've got more in you. You know you've got more in you. Some of you, you're giving everything you can and you are so exhausted in the best way. You're being poured out as a drink offering, as Jesus talked about. And so, but tonight, I pray that it be a night of renewed commitment. Every time I do a wedding and I'm getting ready to do the vows with the husband and the wife, I make everybody who's there at the wedding grab the hand of their beloved. Because what I tell them is once upon a time, you stood with your spouse and you made vows declaring what you would and would not do in front of God. And what has happened is the enemy has talked you out of what God talked you into and you have slowly withdrawn your heart a little bit at a time every day and now you're no longer engaged in the marriage. Oh yeah, we just talk like that. But, but, but grabbing the hand of somebody you just had an argument with kind of accelerates the commitment. And then as they recite their vows for the first time, it reminds you of the vows that you made once upon a time. Amen. It's an opportunity to remember the commitment that you made. I pray that tonight is one of those nights. We need to jump into the scripture. I'm going to take way too long. John chapter 2, it says on the third day. I love that something good is about to happen. Because third day, I heard something about third day. I heard that something miraculous happens on the third day. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone. Say problem. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to them, they have no more wine. Pretty incredible. Mary was obviously a relative of this person getting married because in that time, if there's a wedding going on, if you're directly connected, you don't even need an invitation. You're just expected to be there. It's kind of like, of course, you're going to be there at Sunday lunch because it's what our family always does. But now you're involved in this thing called Fellowship Church, and now you're being forced with a decision, do I honor what my family has done for generations, or do we a part of what God wants to do in future generations? Oh, this is a problem. I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? But Mary shows up because it's the obligatory invitation. And it says Jesus had also been invited to the wedding. It's a really good question. Have you invited Jesus? Have you invited Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about I gave my life to the Lord by and by till glory comes and I get my celestial pass. For, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about this wedding took place at a house. And what they're doing is they're saying, Jesus, we give you access to everything. 
Because what happens in our private spaces is we can create rooms where we close the door and we say, Jesus, welcome to our house, but just don't go in that room. Because I took all, I mean, because like if somebody's coming to your house, what do you quickly do? You start throwing stuff in the rooms and just kicking it in there and shoving it in the, up against the closet and you're praying they don't open the door like, don't go in there! Hey, no! Down here! But have you invited Jesus in to all the rooms? Or could I grab your phone and start looking through it, and would you be praying that you cleared your history? Would it be the space of like, I know you're disenfranchised with your husband, but, but why are you kind of researching that guy on Facebook from 15 years ago? I mean, just, I don't know, we just kind of keep it real, because... I want to see you reach your full potential in Christ and you will forfeit way more than the enemy will steal. And what happens is when we compromise areas and spaces in our life, it becomes unblessable because I said, God, I don't want you in this space. And God says, I cannot bless any place you don't invite me into. And I so want to bless this city that I need to permeate your house. I need to ooze in every sphere of influence and I want to get my light into every crevice, but it's the light can make me feel shame because if I let you in there, I know I'm supposed to be a Christian, but I'm still struggling. Oh, somebody knew about my shopping addiction. They probably wouldn't want me on this dream team. Right? But Mary creates this great example for us that Jesus had been invited to this wedding. And if Jesus will show up where he's invited, he will, he will just come in and take over. But he's, he's going to be invited. He's a good guest. And I know he came into your life, but have you invited him into your life? In every single space, have you invited him into those thoughts? Have you invited him into those behaviors? Have you invited him into those relationships? Have you given Jesus access to all those places in your life? And, and at this wedding, Jesus shows up, and now there seems to be a bit of a problem breaking out because they ran out of wine. It's like, we need some more Mad Dog. We need some more Boone's Farm. I need something. Give me... Uncle Cletus is like, what are you doing? You were supposed to get the wine. Problem. Problem. And obviously, Jesus would rebuke this, that how dare these pagans drink wine because real Christians don't struggle with things. So obviously, Jesus leaves the party and he's out because Jesus wouldn't hang out with those kind of people. I mean, that's... I mean, that's the, that's the fairy tale Jesus we tell, that, that he would reject these people. But, but you mean Jesus would need a, meet a need of somebody wanting more booze? It doesn't make sense. That messes with my theology. And some of you skip over that because in your theology, Jesus doesn't do that stuff. But Jesus does that stuff. And here's the thing. Picture this scene going down. I mean, the, the family of the bride is like, oh, how embarrassing. We are not taking care of our guests. Mary! And everybody's complaining about it, but nobody's doing anything about it. And the reality is some of you look like your family, but you don't have to be like your family. Because you grew up in a world of chaos where everybody's complaining, but nobody's moving. And Mary demonstrates a capacity that all of us would do well to learn from. 
She actually does something about the problem rather than complaining about it. And some of you are sitting in a place of complaining, but you're not doing anything about it. And Mary says, I'm going to do something about it, and I'm going to take it to Jesus. Jesus! I need some booze. In verse 4, this is the funniest part of the, this is one of the funniest verses in the Bible to me. Verse 4, woman, why do you involve me? Now, I, you should always be like Jesus. But, but if there are any students here, no. Your mom is telling you to clean your room. Woman, I'm playing Halo. It's not my time. No, don't be like Jesus. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Because as I read verse 4, woman, why do you involve me? That's a very offensive statement. This is his mother. How dare you talk to your mother like that? And, and it, what could have been an offensive statement, Mary looks past the offense because she's looking for the blessing. And I love the way that Mary demonstrates the capacity all of us on the dream team would do well to learn. Is why am I so easily offended? Why, why is it so easy for me to carry an offense? Here's the image I would want you to start seeing. You're going to carry something. But will you carry the right thing? What could have been a very offensive thing like, woman! Why do you involve me? She'd be like, well, listen, I gave birth to you. I carried you in my womb for nine months. I pushed you for 72 hours to get you out. And you're going to talk to your mama like that? But she was hard to offend. People that are richly blessed are hard to offend. I'll take one clap. Curse, thank you. That's, that's crazy. Thank you. What's your name? I like you already. But Mary... She was hard to offend, and I love the fact that she demonstrates a life skill that we would do well to learn. My ministry is diminished when I walk around offended, and we live in a world where it's so easy to be offended. I just read your Facebook posts. I mean, we use this public forum to communicate private offense, and now we're just instant, permanent, and global, and we're just, and it's... What was your name again? I need your help. Stand up. What's your name again? Pert. What is it? Pert. Hi, Pert. You can set your notebook down. I'm going to give you my Bible. Pert, use both your hands and hold on to that Bible. Okay? Now, hold on to it tight. Now, I want you to grab this. No, hold on to that. But grab this. Why can't you grab it? Oh, because you're holding on to this. So I want to give you a blessing, but you're holding on to an offense. Thank you, Pert. But I cannot carry a blessing when I'm carrying an offense. And some of the very people that you are called to carry, you can't carry because of the offense you carry. And some of the people that are easy, most, we're most easily offended by are the ones that are closest to us. And what happens when we carry an offense is we withdraw from the relationship 
And now we lose an opportunity to minister because of the offense we're carrying. You're going to carry something. You're going to. But it's your choice. What will you carry? Messy miracles. Ministry is messy. My gosh, you want to start getting involved in people's lives? Woo! Lord Jesus, I want to harvest, but I don't want problems. Lord God, I want to reach the city, but don't bring crazy people. And then you show up. But in verse 5, Mary looks past the offense and she looks for the blessing and she says, an amazing, amazing sermon. In just a few words, do whatever he tells you to do. Do, So she's prepping the servants for ministry. But the assignment was not missed because she was derailed by an offense. And some of us miss the assignment because we're distracted by an offense. And when I'm driven by offense, I will walk by blessing. When I'm, when I'm led by being offended, I will walk by ministry every single time. And so she's prepping the servants. She's prepping the dream team for a miracle. Do whatever he tells you to do. We love preaching that until he tells us to do something we don't want to do. <laughs> Amen. Do whatever. I'm for that, Jesus. Whatever. Whoa, but forgive my, my husband? <laughs> you don't know what he did. <laughs> I'll pray for everybody else, but not my not my sister, because she's just crazy. And, and that, that former boss who was mean to me or that coworker that looks at me snide or I, I'll do whatever you tell me to do as long as it lines up with, I, with what I want to do. Or wait now, or is, but what does it mean to really be submitted to the authority of Christ in a way that says because you say so, I will. So what is Jesus telling you to do that you're delaying? And actually, you're justifying it with religious terms, and it ends up blaming God. Well, I feel as though the Lord would be leading me on to a different opportunity. <laughs> I feel as though this season is up, Pastor. And God has released me into a new calling. No, you're offended at somebody and you can't deal with forgiveness issues. And now we're going to be the fourth church you've left. Do whatever he tells you to do. And when you start living in that place, rather than passing on generational curse, I now start to pass on generational blessing. Because I create a pattern of obedience. And delayed obedience is disobedience. What is God telling you to do? Like, what is, he, what is he telling you to do? Like, but I get so busy listening to noise, I don't hear his voice, and I kind of drown it out with busyness. Do whatever he tells you to do. And when you hear that, you need to start leaning forward because, oh, something good's about to happen. Something good's about to I saw, oh, what you got, Jesus? Oh, yeah. But now he brings the miracle into your life. And we expect miracle to be rainbows and unicorns just dancing on the stage. And Oh, you mean it's work? Whew. I didn't expect that. I thought this was going to be so much easier. Anything great worth having means you work for it. And many, miracles are messy. They are, but when we listen for God's voice and we walk in obedience, we put ourselves in a place to receive and be a miracle. Verse 6, 
said, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial uh, washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Now, these were ordinary jars, jars you would see at every Jewish home. They were the kind that would be so commonplace, you would walk past them and you wouldn't notice them because it's an ordinary part of the home. It's, it's like you walk in and you see them. They're standard issue. They're so ordinary, you wouldn't notice it. And, but it's God looking for ordinary things to do extraordinary things through. And if you feel ordinary, you are positioned to be used for a miracle. God specializes in taking ordinary things and doing extraordinary things in them and through them. And you need to see yourself as a jar ready to be filled up for the glory of God. But a jar is only good not when it's filled up, but when it's poured out. God, pour me out into this city. Pour me out into this community. I'm a jar and six stone jars, ordinary things. The God says, good, now we're ready to see something significant happen. And what's crazy about this is when you think about the home that was back in this time, this ordinary jar, it's not like they got like a hose where they like go over and like turn on the little, little water hose and like, and take the hose and like, no, these, each of these jars when full weighed somewhere between 160 and 200 pounds. And so, uh, I, need some, I need some help. I need a jar. Come here. Come on. Come on. And so, come, come on, come on, come on. And so this is going to be our jar. So this would be like, I need to get you to the, to the river. I need to get you to the well. Okay, I need some help. Come here. Come here, come here too. Come here. Yeah, do what they did, yeah. Uh, come here. There you go. All right. So, guys, these are the servants. This is the dream team. And so here's the scene. Jesus is given an instruction. You need to fill this jar up with water. So pick up the jar. Pick him up. Four of you. Come on, go. Pick him up. Don't get him. Lean, lean him back. Lean him back. There you go. Okay. And so, so, so come this way. Come this way. No, come this way. This way. Come on. And so come on. And so we got to get the jar to the water. So they got to. So come on. Come on. And so, come on, no, what are you doing that way? Come this way, come on, you're good. Oh yeah, come on. You got it, you got four of you, you got it? Okay, there you go. There you go, perfect. And so, and so, following Jesus is not easy. We're often looking for the path of least resistance, but that's not where the miracle is found. We're looking for easy miracles. No, this is messy miracles. And it's easy to carry some, it's often easier to carry somebody you don't know than somebody you know. Because you will carry something. What are you carrying? So it's a jar. They got to get the jar to the river. Then we got to come back. So come back up. So come on. You come on. Come on. Get the jar up here. Got to get it back up. No. Wait, wait. I've seen this before. Mark chapter 2. Mark, give me the verse. Mark, Mark chapter 2. Give it up here, please. Mark chapter 2. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. 
So, so this scene, this scene with four guys, here's the thing. The jars that you will carry represent the people in this world. Everyone, don't, keep them there. And so the, the miracle that Jesus performs with the servants bringing ordinary jars, I want you to picture it of that jar being somebody in your life that needs to get to Jesus. So four men. Now, I have no idea if these guys had a relationship with this paralyzed man or if they found him on the side of the street. But my mind needs to believe that they probably knew him. And it was kind of like, Cletus, I'm tired of your complaining, so we're going to take you to Jesus. <laughs> and so they exhaust all means possible to get him to the presence of Jesus. Why? Because they know that only in his hands can someone be transformed. Only in his hands can something happen. Only in his hands can a miracle happen. So they go these extravagant lengths. You can carry him back over and then bring him back. There you go. Because now he might be getting a little bit heavy at this point, even though he's not a big guy. There you go. You're doing good. Okay? You can hold it right there. But what I want you to see is every one of the people that God has given you access to is a jar. But you'll never carry a jar you're offended by. And these jars were made out of clay, and they're not smooth and glazed over. This, this is rough. It's... it's it's the kind of jar that will cut your arms. But if you drop it because of the discomfort, you lose the miracle. And some of you have dropped people because it became a little painful. What did you sign up for? And, and the miracle in John chapter 2 is the water turned into wine. And by the time they got it to Jesus, they tasted it. And it was the best stuff. Save the best for last, it says. Now, when did that water turn into wine? I don't know. Here's what I believe, though. is every step, it starts to become a little, the water's changing color. Every step. It's, it's, I believe it changed along the way. And I believe that every step that you keep moving this thing, I believe the miracle happened along the way. It wasn't once it got to Jesus. I believe it was happening along the way. I believe that's the way God works. I believe that's the way God moves. And it's happening along the way. But the ones who were standing in the mess were the ones who were able to see the miracle. Dream team. You are the ones that have to put up with the mess, but you are the ones that get the front row seat to a miracle. God, God has put you in a place to see miracles, and he's put you in a place to be carriers of miracles, to carry jars into the presence of Jesus. And I believe that when you start walking with the jar, every step you take, I know it's hard, and I know it's painful, and I know I don't want to do this, but every step, it starts to change. And once they got it over to Jesus, he said, let me see it. And there it had fully transformed. 
and the miracle happened. They were carriers of a miracle, but it is a messy miracle. Would you give it up for these guys? Thank you, guys. It's messy miracles. But I'll drop a jar I'm offended by. I won't carry a jar that hurts. Are you a person that's easy to offend? Because God has put some jars in your life that need to get into the presence of Jesus. And he's positioned you uniquely to have access to those relationships. Because he says, I need to get what I have in me, in them. But you participate in the miracle. You are involved in the miracle. And that's what you get a chance to do, fellowship. You get a chance to be carriers of Christ. You get a chance to be ambassadors of the good things of Jesus. And I love the excellence that is demonstrated this in verse 7. Verse 7, it says this, and this inspires me. And this is what I think epitomizes you guys, because I think this describes the dream team. Verse 7, it says, so they filled them to the brim. They took it all the way to the top. They didn't stop short. They did everything they could. They took it over the top. Are you the kind of person who does it to the brim or you just do it a little bit? I believe that this is a room full of people who do it to the brim. They do it to the level of excellence that honors God. It inspires people. You're going to do it to the brim. Why? Because you know what Jesus is doing along the way. And what inspires you to keep moving is you know that Jesus is moving along the way. And if I focus on his miracle, I won't walk away because of the pain. But what does it mean for you tonight to be hard to offend? Is there somebody that you're carrying an offense for that God has called you to carry? I've got to drop what's in my hand so I can carry what is in God's hands. What does it mean for you, dream team? I know this group is committed to reaching the city. I know you are. Sometimes time can talk you out of it, and past hurts are so deep, you don't feel like you can ever look past it. I'm not talking about staying in destructive and abusive relationships, but I am talking about how do I work on the internal attitude of my heart so that I don't live in offense. Your willingness to reach this city is indicated by your willingness to let go of an offense. God, we want to reach this city. Will I let you reach the deepest parts of my heart? Those people in your life are jars. Every one of them is precious to God, uniquely made. Beautiful in his sight. And God says, I gave you access to them, servants. And if you're listening to me, you'll bring them to me. Fill them up. Bring them, bring them to me. And, and as I was preparing for this, I couldn't help but get out of my mind another passage about jars, 2 Kings 4. It's one of my favorite verses. One of my favorite stories. 2 Kings 4, verse 1. It says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. Amex and Visa are stacked up so high, they're coming to take my kids as collateral. I talk about a problem. 
God, I'm, I, I'm so done with this thing. I've got nothing left. I'm losing my family. And some of you know what it's like because you're sitting in the midst of a struggle and it feels like you're losing your family and you are at your wits end and you don't know what to do. And you are crying out, Pastor, what are we going to do? I need help. And she goes to the man of God. She goes the right direction. I don't know if it's her first choice or her last option. Whether it's your first choice or your last option to be here tonight, you made a great decision. Whether it's the first or the last, God loves you whenever you come to Him. And He loves you when you come to Him. And He's going to love you just like you are. And the woman goes to the man of God knowing that the need she has can only be satisfied in the presence of God. I've tried solving it in my own strength. I've tried shoving other things into that hole, but it's not satisfying and it's not sustaining. And I'm broken and I'm empty and I'm coming to you, man of God. You need to expect this pastoral voice. You'd expect him to pay her bills. And it's funny, he replied to her, how can I help you? Sounds a little bit like he's being offensive. Like I'm down on my my last resort here and I'm coming to you and you're like how can I help you that's why I'm here because I thought you were going to help me but she doesn't get offended and the prophet says tell me what do you have in your house what do you have and her response is fascinating your servant has nothing there at all she said because often when we look to the need, we think the limited amounts we have is insufficient. God says, I don't need a lot of faith. I just need a little bit. Just a, just a mustard seed. If you just got a little bit. I don't need a whole lot to work my miracle in your life, but you have to acknowledge the little you have before I bring you anything. I got nothing except a little bit of oil. That's all I need. The oil represents the Spirit of God. Come on. What, what do you act? Nothing. Except, I got nothing left. I got nothing left for my husband. Except a memory of a covenant we made. Got nothing left for my mom. She's walking. But I do have this one thought. I can't. And when we start to acknowledge the little we have, we position ourselves to be filled up. Amen. And I want to pour something into your life, but I cannot do it on a vessel with a lid on top. And a fence is a lid on top of the jar. And God says, I want to bring this oil into your life. And Elijah said, verse 3, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. So you want me to do like a recycling thing? Give the jars in for money. And no, no, that's not it. Now catch the miracle that he's going to bring into her life. But it's not a passive miracle. It's an active miracle. You participate in the miracle. Miracles don't fall down from heaven. They're dug out of the dirt. And I'm sitting here, Lord, bring me a miracle. And he's saying, pick up that shovel and get to work. You need to do something. I want to bring it into your life, but you have to participate in it. That's, that's the gospel. Grace is free, but it costs Jesus everything. And he wants us to position ourselves to work towards it. Go around, ask your neighbors for jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars 
and as each is full, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. The oil represents the Spirit of God. It's a limitless supply. Unlimited. Can never be exhausted. God says, I have way more supply than you have jars. I've got so much supply, and I want to bring it into your life, but you have not created a vessel to contain it. And those jars with lids on them, I can't put anything in them. She said, puts them to the side. Verse 6, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Fellowship Church, I would speak over you that the heart of our Father wants to pour out oil into this city. But He's looking for jars to contain it. And the work of the dream team is not to set up a building, it's to bring people into His presence. You are being distributed. You are being sent into this community to gather jars. And I speak over you, fellowship, that as long as you keep bringing jars, the oil will never stop flowing. It is limitless. It is available. It wants to be poured into this city, but it has to have a vessel to contain it. But the jars are in your hands. God, don't stop pouring your oil. And he says, then don't stop bringing the jars. Because as long as you keep bringing the jar, I'll keep supplying the oil. It will never end. So fellowship, what does it mean for you to get on a recycling program? Can you think of of at least one jar in your life right now? Would you stand to your feet? I feel like this is a moment that God has set apart for you to do some serious work. As you you picture that jar in your heart, does it have a face and does it have a name? Who is it to you? Is it your dad? Is it your brother? Is it your spouse? Is it your coworker? Is it your best friend? Who is it to you? And ask you the question if, if if this were the day that their life would end, what would it look like? But God has given you an opportunity because He's placed that jar in your spheres of influence. He's put it in reach for you to bring. And He gave you that access so He could have influence in their life. But you have to participate in this thing. Would you close your eyes? And I want to pray very specifically for some of you that you've been so exhausted that you've given up in bringing jars. And you are not taking advantage and opportunity to exhaust the relationships that God has given you access to. And I want to pray very specifically for your strength right now. I feel as though God wants an invitation for someone's strength to be renewed right now. You're tired. You're frustrated. You're angry. You're disappointed. You're disconnected. 
But God is saying, I need to renew your passion right now. I need to remind you of your first love. I need to take you back to the point where I saved you so that you would see that happening in somebody else's life. And if that's you and if you're tired, would you raise your hand? Eyes closed. I want to know who I'm praying for right now. I want to join my faith with your believing that God will meet you at that intersection. The place where your hand extends up and his hands extend down. And it creates an intersection and a place where you can exchange. You can exchange the burden you've been carrying for the blessing he wants to bring. Stretch your hand as high as you can. So, Father God, we declare that these sons and daughters, these ambassadors of the good news of Jesus, these people you set apart for the work of the ministry, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, people that have been anointed, their hands are anointed, their feet are anointed, their lips are are anointed. I pray for their strength right now. Some of them are tired. Some of them have disconnected. Some of them have given up. They've said they've had enough and they cannot do it any longer. But because you say so, we will. And God, we declare that we will walk in obedience, that what you say to do, we will hear and we will respond and we will enter back into those places we have left believing that your favor goes before us, believing that provision is in the place where we embrace what you have called us to do. So God, bless your people. Anoint them, Lord. And if you're comfortable, would you raise both of your hands right now, everybody in this room? Lord, we thank you. Thank you for setting in place scaffolding to build something so significant the city would see the heart of Jesus. Thank you that it's a scaffolding in a building that is being stretched so high that the banner of Jesus will fly high above this city, all above the decay, all above the sin, above all of the shame. But God, that will happen through the efforts of these people. And as we stretch our hands towards you, we position ourselves, we posture ourselves in a place to be submitted to your glory. So God, remind us tonight of your love. Let us feel your grace. But God, send them out into this city to bring jars into your presence. Release them into the ministry that you created them for. God, they will go back into those relationships. And they will declare the goodness of our God. We love you. We thank you. And we celebrate your mighty and matchless name. And all God's people said... Amen. And put your hands together and celebrate the goodness of our God.